Good morning, everyone. Great to be in Jesus' name. We have been having a rich worship service here. I appreciate all of it. I want to uh, want to have a workshop on meekness this morning. Meekness, and I want to look at uh, several Bible characters uh, briefly to start with. Events in their lives that uh, demonstrated meekness. And the first one is Isaac, Old Testament character, son of Abraham. And in Genesis 26, beginning at verse 15, begins an account where uh, he was down in Philistine's country and uh, that story about the well, which you're familiar with, no doubt. And as we go through this story or these, these uh, events, I want you to think about yourself and uh, how you would react in, in that kind of situation. And how would you have responded? So here was Isaac in the Philistines country, and in verse 15, in sort of a parenthetical uh, Sentence, it says that the Philistines had stopped up the wells with earth that uh, Abraham's servants had dug. And then uh, it tells us in the next verse that Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, said, Go away from us because you are mightier than we are. So Isaac moved away some distance, and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there, and he dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them, Isaac gave these wells the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found the well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. And so he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well. And the Philistines quarreled over that one with them also, so he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And from there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servant dug a well. Water was very important. Wells were very important to supply water. And here there was contention. And we see how Isaac responded in each of those cases. The next 
uh, person we want to look at briefly is Moses. And in chapter 12 of Numbers, this is the that we're going to look at, Miriam and Aaron, brother and sister to Moses, uh, were upset at Moses because of a Cushite woman that he had married. And they had an attitude toward Moses. And they said, in verse 2, As the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses, has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward and he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. But not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I will speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And when the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, should she not be stained seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march until Miriam was brought in again. Aaron and Miriam. Uh, provoked at Moses, an attitude toward Moses, and Moses responded meekly, and he was, I think, as distressed as Aaron and Moses, that, or Aaron and Miriam, that Miriam had leprosy. He didn't just turn away, he interceded for her. God interceded for Moses. That was Moses, the meekest man on the earth. And then there's Jesus, and I'm thinking of the, uh, there were many incidents in his life, but his crucifixion particularly. In Matthew 26, before the Sanhedrin, we were familiar with the story, and uh, I'll not read all of it here, but the false witnesses came forward, and these angry men 
uh, the dime reviews, um, the high priest said, you're him. Tell us. Tell us who you are. And if you are Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, you have said so. And they responded, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. So they spit on his face. He deserves to die. And they spit on his face and struck him and they slapped him and so forth. And then before Pilate, he was accused there by the chief priests and the elders, and he gave no answer. He gave no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor, Pilate, was greatly amazed. Then finally, at the hands of the soldiers, they took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him, and just terribly unjust, terribly cruel, and... Uh, mocking him and led him away and crucified him. We know the story. And it says in First Peter about Jesus in the second chapter, verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. All three of these examples, uh, Jesus, the most perfect one, examples of meekness. And the psalmist said that the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in, a, in an abundance of peace. So, that's a great promise. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I don't know what all that inheritance is, but there's a great blessing for the meek. They shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. I believe that's part of the, uh, part of the blessing. To not be all in upheaval, even when things are not going well, and I'm not being treated well. So, what is meekness? The word in the King James, uh, or the, the Greek word that is often translated meek, sometimes it's translated meek in other translations, sometimes it is translated humble, sometimes gentle. And meekness is closely related to humility. They, you can't really separate them, true Christian uh, meekness and true Christian humility and gentleness. They go hand in hand, but there's a difference between humility and meekness, I feel. That humility is how we see ourselves. It's kind of how we, uh, how we see ourselves compared to other people. And uh, so it's a comparison thing. And it's an attitude. Pride would be its opposite. And this little threat about who is the greatest among us would be one example, like the uh, Jesus 
disciples had that kind of struggle and who's the best looking or the wealthiest and the most charming and all those things. But Christian meekness is a response. A response to others. It's a response to circumstances. It's a response to God. And there must be humility along with it. But it is a it is a heart characteristic. It's a character quality before it comes out as an expression in a response, whether it's word or action. It is that there's a hidden man of the heart that is the work of the Spirit in Christian meekness. It is focused on God. It is not self-centered. It is not selfishly assertive. It's uh, when it's really mature, it is not preoccupied with self at all. It is motivated by the love of God, the love for God. Meekness is not a stormy soul. It is not angry, vengeful, distressed, resistive, and all out of sorts. But rather there is a serenity, a recognition, a surrender to God's sovereignty, an acceptance of how things are uh, to a point, a settled peace, a gentleness, in attitude and approach to life. I think there are some things we don't accept, but our circumstances and and the events around us, we we accept this is happening and we want to respond to it in a godly way. It is willingly accepting and submitting without resistance the desires of someone else not being self-willed, not continually concerned about getting my own way or my own ideas and my own preferences, but willing to put ourselves in second place and submit to what is the better good for others. It's the opposite of self-will and self-interest. And meekness is not Christian meekness is not weakness, though the world would uh, look at Isaac, and the world would look at Moses, and the world would look at the story of Jesus and the cross and see weakness. But Christian weakness is not, did I say weakness? Christian meekness is not weakness. One is not meek because he is helpless and can do nothing else. Jesus could have called 10,000 angels, but he didn't. Meekness is the power of God within us, the power of the Spirit within us to control our spirits and 
to restrain evil responses and to produce right responses. Meekness is part of righteousness. Now we've heard it said often, and it's true, that our real character shows up when things start uh, getting rough. And meekness maybe doesn't show up so much on a pleasant day when there's no controversies and everybody's getting along well together. In fact, you could have two people side by side on a nice sunny day and they're both cheerful, they're getting along well, and, and life is good. And you can't really tell that much difference between them. But if a stressful situation came upon them, you may quickly see a, a real difference. One may be calm and meek, and the other has blown up. We have already seen, and we want to emphasize again, that Jesus was meek. He is our example. He was prophesied that he would be meek. And Paul said of him in 2 Corinthians 10, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being active and bold toward you. Acknowledging the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Paul had that characteristic also. And we have this invitation from Jesus in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle. Um, this is from the New King James. King James says, For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This beautiful invitation uh, tells us not only that Jesus was meek, but that he wants to develop that meekness in us also. And God loves to see that characteristic in His children because it is a Christ-like, uh, it is a Christ-like characteristic. And it is a God-like characteristic. And it points people to Christ. So in First Peter 3, and verses 3 and 4, Peter wrote, Do not let your adornment be merely outward. The Greek doesn't have them merely there. Arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle or meek, as the King James says, and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. Very precious 
very beautiful. God values that very much. Now we want to uh, want to look at some homework, some homework drills, some practice drills for growing in meekness. And I've, I've pulled together a collection of things here. And you can add to that, but I think they're all uh, instructive and um, good for us to think about. The first is to receive the Word of God meekly. In James 1, beginning at verse 19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So we look at the Word of God, we read the Word of God, we hear the Word of God, and we don't resist the Word of God. We reverence the Word of God. We see it as God's Word coming from Him. And we don't resist. We don't buck God's design, God's command. But we show a love for His Word and a surrender to His Word. Receiving with meekness the implanted Word. We accept it. We believe it. We obey it. Another exercise is to surrender to God's sovereignty and purpose. And we talked about meekness showing up when, when we're being attacked or uh, not things aren't going our way and our wishes aren't being considered and our thoughts aren't being respected or whatever. Does God have anything to do with those things happening? Well, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, it says this, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. So everybody faces tough things. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. So we think about this as uh, maybe enticement to do evil, but I think it's broader than that. Any any uh, any trial or temptation to evil, or whatever that would, um, that could bring up a, a sinful response in us. There's something wrong, evil, a sinful, carnal, would rise up in us. 
that God is watching and He's not allowing things to come that we're not able to bear, but He will make a way to escape that He may be able to bear it. And that may not always be turning and walking away from it, but it may be something that we do or learn right there in the middle of it that will help us through it. But uh, when these things come, and they do to all of us, to acknowledge it, you know, first of all, okay, this didn't just come out of the blue as an attack against me, and everybody is against me, or somebody is against me, and this is not nice, and I am getting upset, but rather uh, to acknowledge, now wait a minute, where is God? Where is God here? God is here. And this is happening. God knows it, and He's allowed it to happen. And I can respond by God's grace in a godly way. I can be meek here. I can respond in a godly way. Very, very closely linked to that is to receive chastening meekly. In fact, you could say that all those things are chastening. So in Hebrews 12, verse 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? He tells us there in that in that chapter that he chastens those he loves. It's a sign of God's love. That's a look that should be comforting to us. In the eleventh verse, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. New King James again. So there's an opportunity to learn from the trials and difficulties that God allows, that God brings, and we can learn God's grace is sufficient. So um, Paul learned about that. We can learn how much we need God. We can learn to pray more. Um, as God works in a surrendered heart, it strengthens our faith. And we learn that God's way, godly responses are always right and are always the best. And, you know, responding in that carnal response that rises up and rise up in us. That's not going to, that's not going to bring a good end. It's not going to bring the best end. And it may leave us with worse trouble than we were in to start with. And needing to learn still more things. 
and then to uh, live meekly. In James, it talks about wisdom, and it talks about praying for wisdom there in the first chapter. But in the third chapter, beginning at verse 13, I'd like to read a few verses there. I'd like you to turn there, actually. James 3, beginning at verse 13. It talks there about wisdom and the meekness of wisdom. And I think this is a a guidance system. So a meek person has a different guidance system than an unmeek person. In other words, he's getting the meek person is getting a different direction about how to respond to things than a carnal person. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And in the next chapter, uh, James 4, there are the first couple verses. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do, not, do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. A guidance system, uh, a wisdom from God that directs our responses in meekness, and the result is peace. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. Don't yield to anger. Now, the Scripture tells us, Be ye angry and sin not. In Ephesians 4, 26. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. That's in James, first chapter. And we, we know that Jesus... Uh, in the temple was angry. Some Christians uh, use that word, that term. There is a holy wrath. Can can man, can uh, humans have that kind of wrath? 
that kind of anger? I think it's possible. It's probably pretty rare. But it's possible, and we don't want to be passive about sin and just say that's okay and injustice is okay and all like that. It's just okay. We won't, we won't get upset. We won't be bothered about it. But even in those things, we need to watch very carefully. If it becomes personal, so we've seen an injustice. If it becomes personal, it becomes about how I feel about this. And if it wants to hurt the offender, if it wants to, it would really find some satisfaction in punching him in the nose. There's probably something going the wrong direction there, even if you're right about the injustice. If it causes me to compromise in other Christian graces, maybe there, there is likely some of the wrath of man mixing in with that, uh, that righteous indignation. So we really want, we really need to guard against that. Because, you know, uh, I remember reading somewhere, it's been a couple of years ago or more, about, well, on back, they were saying, psychologists were saying that, you know, it's, uh, don't bottle this up. If you're angry, express it. And that can let off some pressure, let off steam, if you will. But, um, but they are, have learned, this is what I read a couple of years ago, that uh, expressing anger can tend to uh, make a person feel even more angry. And that it's not necessarily a good thing. Well, the good thing, I mean, the way to deal with it is to deal with ourselves and the carnality and learn meekness. That's what the solution is. And if there has been carnal anger, uh, it needs to be confessed and repented of. We don't want that. It doesn't, it doesn't enhance our testimony for Jesus, for sure. Endure meekly. Endure irritation meekly with all lowliness and gentleness. Ephesians 4. Uh, that is meekness in the King James. But with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Not just gritting our teeth biting our tongues and trying to restrain ourselves, but quietly swallowing, maybe, absorbing thoughtless deeds and aggravations and personality differences that can grate on us. If When there's Christian meekness, the perfectionist who labors meticulously over every minute detail and the let's just get on with it type of person, they can work together in harmony when there is Christian 
meekness. Another exercise is to talk meekly. Ephesians 4, again, verses 31 and 2. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, the word meekness is not in those verses. But if bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking are gone with all malice, there stands a meek person. And his words will be meek. And they will be kind. And they will be forgiving. Proverbs says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's true. And 1 Peter 2.23, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. We read that earlier. And restore meekly in uh, working with someone who is addressing a fault with someone. In Galatians 6 1, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, consider, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, in a spirit of meekness. Only a spiritual person would have a true meekness. To approach a wayward person uh, harshly and condescendingly says, I care about me, and I care about how this affects me, and I am disgusted with you. And that slams shut the door of communication. But coming meekly, says, I care about you, and that can open a door. Like Paul said, we read this verse 2 from 2 Corinthians 10, Now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. If we would address each other in that way, if we address our children that way, Deal with opposition meekly. In 2 Timothy 2, 24, And a servant of the Lord must not fall, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patience, in humility or meekness, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And I have here uh, witnessed meekly. 
sanctify, this is from 1 Peter 3, verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So we would be respectful, uh, not brash and rude or attacking someone uh, who is uh, not a Christian because they're, they don't believe uh, the Bible or whatever, but more than that, more than just how we speak to them, a meek and humble Christ-like spirit is a powerful testimony in itself. And then uh, the last exercise I have here is to seek meekness. In Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3, Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld His justice. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Meekness. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Seek the Lord is where it starts, of course. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Colossians 3, 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Kendall read that verse this morning in the opening. Seek. Pursue. Make it a prayer priority. After warning about the dangers of the love of money in 1 Timothy 6, in verse 10, the 11th verse says, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, or meekness. And Meekness is a fruit of the Spirit. God at work in the life of His child. The fruit is the fruit of God's work within. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or meekness, self-control, Against us there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires and unmeet attitudes and responses. Crucified them all. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. It's the fruit of a life with Christ. It's the fruit of the life of Christ within His child. The life of Christ flowing into our hearts. And, and that doesn't come in installments like, okay, let's all gather around here January 
27 and get our annual installment of meekness or whatever we need for the Christian life. It doesn't work like that. Neither is it monthly installments or weekly or really even daily. It's a moment by moment. And some moments are more rich and free than others uh, for me. But that's, I believe, the way that God would want this life of Christ to flow into us and uh, work in our hearts moment by moment. In closing, I'll just read uh, these last couple of verses of Matthew 11. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That second song that we sang this morning, Oh, to be like thee. That should really be our prayer and desire, not just with meekness, but with all, to be like Christ in every way. And the first verse we sang, Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Oh, to be like thee, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender and kind, and so forth. And then in verse 3, Oh, to be like thee, lowly in spirit, holy and harmless, tender, I'm sorry, patient and brave, meekly enduring cruel reproaches, willing to suffer others to save. Oh, to be like thee. And Jesus said, He is meek and He will teach us. Surrender to Him, take up His yoke, and learn from Him. For I am He, and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. And you will bless other people and help them to find that place too.